If other people are the cause of your problems, you would have to hire a psychiatrist for the rest of the world in order for you to get better. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. So if you have been thinking about doing the keto diet or you've been experimenting with it and you've also been experimenting with things like intermittent fasting protocols and you want some more information and access to really quality information on whether it may or may not be right for you and how to do it effectively, importantly, how to also optimize your diet around your menstrual cycle, then you're definitely going to enjoy today's episode with my guest, Ben Azadi. Ben is the author of Keto Flex. And in 2008, he went through his personal health transformation and shedded 80 pounds of pure fat. And ever since then, he's been on a mission to help a billion people live a healthier lifestyle. He's the author of four best-selling books, The Keto Flex, which is a fantastic read, The Perfect Health Booklet, The Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet, and The Power of Sleep. And he's been the go-to source for intermittent fasting and the keto diet for some time. He's also known as the health detective because he investigates dysfunction and educates rather than medicates to bring the body back to normal function. And he's also the founder of Keto Camp, which is a global brand bringing awareness to ancient healing strategies such as the keto diet and fasting. And he's the host of a top 15 podcast, the Keto Camp Podcast, which I had the pleasure of going on a couple of months back. And he has a fast growing um, YouTube channel called Keto Camp with over 135,000 subscribers and a TikTok channel with over 145,000 subscribers. So he has a big audience. Um, He's an absolutely lovely guy. And we had such a wide ranging and fun chat and we share so many things in common. Uh, We also dive into personal development a bit in this episode. Both Ben and I have been inspired by the lovely Bob Proctor as a mentor who sadly passed away a few weeks back. Uh, But he's been a big inspiration to both of us. And you'll hear about some of the things that we do to really optimize our mindset for uh, enhanced health and performance. So let me introduce you now to the lovely Ben Azadi. So Ben, I am so excited to have you here today. I've been really, really looking forward to this podcast episode because I just know my listeners are going to absolutely love it. Firstly, a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I love what you're doing. You were on my podcast. We had a great conversation and now it's round two. Today's round two and I loved it. Thank you for having me on the show. That was awesome. Um, So why don't we get started? The book, obviously your book, which is an incredible book, is called Keto Flex. And it does, it helps you reduce inflammation, burn fat, reboot your metabolism, which is basically what I think everyone wants to do, especially at this time of year. But in general, it's one of the biggest things or the three biggest things you can do for longevity. Can you describe, first of all, what is Keto Flex? Yes. So Keto Flexing is the premise behind how humans have existed for as long as humans have existed. For example, ketosis. We know, and we both agree that keto is one tool in the shed. It's not the only tool and it's not new. Ketosis has been around since humans have existed. Every single one of our ancestors did keto because their environment forced them into periods of time where there was no food. So they had to fast. And if they did not have the ability to produce ketones, they would be blubbering idiots and they wouldn't be able to hunt and kill and and do their thing. So keto 
flexing is the principle that yes, keto is great. All of our ancestors did it, but when our ancestors had the opportunity to eat carbohydrates, they would flex out of ketosis. So it is about metabolic flexibility and using keto to achieve that metabolic freedom and flexibility, which is very similar to what you teach as well. Yeah, very, very similar. And I couldn't agree more. I just think a lot of people get hung up on a particular diet, right? Whereas actually metabolic flexibility is king. Who wouldn't want to be metabolically flexible? And That's we're it. born That's... metabolically flexible. Exactly. That's the we're born into ketosis too. I mean, breast milk has yes. saturated fat and cholesterol. It's a new problem that we have where somebody is now sticking with the same diet long-term. And of course we see it in keto, but it's also veganism and other diets out there, carnivore, it's a new problem. None of the, our ancestors, there's not one culture in the history of this world that stuck with the same diet long-term. It wasn't until, it hasn't been until the last 50 years that we have this new problem. Mm. And a new problem of so much processed food, right? That's the other thing. It's yeah. just so difficult to, yeah, people struggle to get these whole foods in. So in terms of when someone wants to start, right, and they're thinking about creating metabolic flexibility, I think one of the things that both you and I talk a lot about is we need to teach people to deplete muscle glycogen again, right? They haven't been doing that. So many people are just sort of topped up all the time with carbohydrates, and they're not burning enough fuel to actually facilitate um, the need for it. When, when you've got somebody and they're maybe they're feeling like they're stressed, there, which obviously leads to more blood sugar dysregulation. They're overweight. They feel lethargic. They feel like they've got that brain fog. What's the best place would you say in your formula? And I know you have your four pillars, which I want to go through with you in a moment for someone to start when they're just starting out and they're thinking, I really want to develop metabolic flexibility. Yeah. The first step is to start depleting those glycogen stores, like you just said. And uh, when you are what's called a sugar burner. When you're teaching your cells to burn sugar, burn glucose, and only burn sugar and glucose, it leads to metabolic dysfunction. It leads to metabolic inflexibility. It's estimated that in America, 88.2% of Americans are metabolically inflexible. That means there's only 12% of us that have this flexibility, which, and that's in 2018 study. It's probably worse now, especially after COVID. So what, what that means essentially is you're eating every two to three hours, you're eating high processed carbohydrates. The average American is eating about 300 and 400 grams of carbs per day. And you're going to continuously top that, those glycogen stores. You're going to add, it's going to, you can only store about 2000 calories of, of sugar in those glycogen stores, muscle, liver cells. And then the rest is stored as body fat. And it's not a fun way to live. When I was obese, I was a sugar burner. And how do you know you're a sugar burner? You're eating every two to three hours. If you skip a meal, you're hangry, you can't function, and it will create insulin resistance, type two diabetes, and just a whole host of other issues. So the first step is to lower your carbohydrate intake. And at the same time, increase healthy fats and protein, and then eliminate the snacking. You don't have to necessarily fast in the beginning, start with three meals, but as you increase the healthy fats and protein, eat less carbs, you're actually going to find that you have less need to snack. And that is the first step right there. Yeah, that's a great first step. I see that, you know, I see that a lot with guys actually is, and, and I think you, you had problems, didn't you, in, in childhood, but I find that with a lot of men, actually often as teenagers, like I look at my two teenage boys, 13 and 14, they have an incredible capacity to eat. And I think sometimes what happens is you fast forward 10 years and now you have a 23, 24 year old guy mm -hmm. who thinks he can eat like he did at 13, 14, 
but you're not growing anymore and you just don't and you're not doing the same amount of sport and you just don't have the need for that much glucose and carbohydrates. I think that's the thing and we have to adjust and realize that we don't need it, but we do need healthy fats for our brain. We do need protein that we can break down into amino acids. It's a, as you say, like we've got to change our diet, right? Especially as we go through different decades, our needs are going to be very, very different. Um, your story is incredible because you were obese. So you have come on that journey. Tell me about like that because I know your father was very sick as well and that was a huge wake-up call can you just share so the audience can kind of connect with that because you've been through a lot and it's it's amazing that you're so fit and healthy now to come on that journey thank you Angela yeah and we have very a lot of similarities in our stories you know I, I battled with depression just like you I had uh suicidal thoughts and uh, growing up here in America I followed a standard American diet which is highly processed very toxic the acronym is SAD, Standard American Diet, and it's a proper acronym because it's very sad and it'll lead mm -hmm. to you feeling sad. And that was the case for me. So I hung out with the wrong crowd. My environment was very toxic and I became toxic in myself. So my body was physically obese, but I was also mentally obese and mentally bankrupt. And I found myself back in 2008 being, I was a 24 year old obese man. I weighed 250 pounds. I worked at a nine to five job that was very uninspiring. And I was going through a very difficult time in my life with my, my ex-girlfriend who ended up breaking up with me. And I was depressed. I was rock bottom. I was actually looking for ways to end my life because I was tired of hurting every day, waking up and crying. And it was a vicious cycle for several months where I would think about suicide. I would go on the internet to look for ways to commit suicide. And then I would stop myself thinking about my mother, thinking about what she would have to deal with if I went through with that. And it wasn't until I, I picked up actually a friend, my best friend, two of my best friends handed me a book and said, you know, read this book. I think you would get a lot from it. And one book led to five books, which led to 15 books. And I started to read incredible authors. We were just talking offline about one of them, you know, Bob Proctor, Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, and I could go on and on and on. The books did a lot for me, but the number one thing that the books did for me helped me take responsibility for my results and my circumstances. And that word responsibility is your ability to respond to life. My ability to respond to life up until that point was very poor. I was blaming my genetics, my enabling family members. I was blaming everything external. And then I came across Dr. Wayne Dyer's work. And I remember him saying this and it really resonated with me. He said, if other people are the cause of your problems, you would have to hire a psychiatrist for the rest of the world in order for you to get better. And I, and it was funny That's and it so was true. so true because so true. the problem lies within. I am actually responsible. I was, and I still am responsible. So I actually said those words out loud. I am responsible. And the second that I said that, I felt empowered. I felt inspired. I felt gratitude. And I started to make better changes for my life. And I became the victor at that moment of my destiny. And I stopped being the victim of my history. So I started to exercise and eat better. And I went through this incredible transformation. I lost about 80 pounds of fat. I went from 250 pounds. Uh, and that's, of course, I'm speaking in American and uh, in, in English, <laughs> uh, U.S. terms here, I should say. So I went from 250 pounds down to 170 pounds, 34% body fat down to 6% body fat, wow. size 38 waist to size 30 waist. So finally achieved the physical six pack. But the most important thing that I achieved was a, a mental six pack. I started to understand how important 
your thoughts are and how you become what you think about most of the time. And that's what got me started in the health and fitness space. I became a personal trainer. I opened up a CrossFit gym. I ended up selling the CrossFit gym. But then, like you mentioned a little while ago, my dad ended up getting sick and he had type two diabetes, which is very common here and in the UK, all over the world. And he got worse and worse and worse. I didn't really understand the disease. I just gave him his medication, bought his groceries based off of the recommendations from his doctors. And he ended up suffering a massive stroke, which left him paralyzed. And then eventually it took his life nine months after that. And it, that was in 2014. And it, and it left a hole in me that I wanted to find out what happened to my dad, you know, what's happening to the world. Uh, why was the advice the wrong advice for him and for so many. And I came to the, the answers and the answers is exactly what we teach. You know, metabolic flexibility, keto, keto flexing, intermittent fasting. And I, I know to this day that if I would have applied what I teach now to my dad back then, I would have saved his life. I, I know that to be true, but I also get that I was given that mountain back then so I could show the world the mountain can be moved. And that's what inspires me. That's my worthy ideal, my, my goal that I'm in love with to educate and to inspire a billion people. So that's what turned my health into a hobby, to a purpose, from a pain to a purpose. And that's what really lit a fire in me. And uh, I've been determined to get the message out ever since. So if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about your brain and body. And one of the best supplements I've found to really help rebuild your cells and optimize brain performance is the liposomal body bio phosphatidylcholine that I've been taking by Body Bio. It is a liposomal complex of phospholipids designed for your cellular health, and it helps you to fight brain fog, keep the mind sharp. It is very instrumental in cellular repair and helping cognitive and memory support. It also has been shown to enhance nerve signaling, improve liver function, maintain membrane fluidity and permeability, and also support healthy lung tissue as well. In addition to aiding mitochondrial function, it is a powerhouse of a supplement for focus, anti-aging and performance. And it's something I've been taking on a daily basis. The effects are cumulative and over six weeks, you can see a really material difference and if you'd like to get your hands on some body bio pc and check it out for yourself then you can get a cool 10 off your order by going to bit.ly forward slash body bio that's body bio with a capital b so that's bit.ly forward slash capital b o d y b i o and entering code angela hyphen a at checkout that's all in caps angela hyphen a at checkout I've been absolutely loving the effects of this. You've probably seen me share about it on Instagram. If you try it too, definitely send me a DM and, and let me know how you're getting on with it. Now let's get back to bed. That's amazing. And that you do, I have to say, with all your content, you're so generous with the content on social media. It's amazing. Um, so and anyone listening should definitely go and check out your account, Ben. It's, it's amazing. Um, I want to dive into that where the ideal in just a moment, but when you, so when you found this out with your dad, at this point you were, you were, you'd got fit yourself, had you, so you'd made that transition, you own the CrossFit gym. If we can just track back a little bit when you were thinking of making that change, because I imagine when you were suffering with depression, right, if you were on the standard American diet, you probably had a lot of neuroinflammation as much as anything else. Your gut microbiome was probably completely disrupted, not making enough serotonin. What at that point, what helped you? Because you took that um, 
decision, right? That you were going to take 100% responsibility. And I always think, right, if it's going to be, it has to be me. It's yeah. like that. That's such a, it's, you're going to have to make it happen and you had to. And but you'd gone from thinking about taking your own life as I did, that's so hard, such a, a dark place to be in. And I, I know the challenge you speak of when you're thinking about, oh my God, what's that gonna do to my mom? And I was thinking that, what's that gonna do to my kids? And you're so torn, right? Because you're in so much mental anguish and pain that I don't know about you, I just wanted to turn my thoughts off. And that seemed the only way out, but you're so worried about what you're gonna cause everyone else. What made you, how did you, was it through reading the work of people like Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor, that you started to, because you said you were given a book initially and then it was five and ten. Was it the self-development books that came first before all of the nutrition and the health? It was. Yeah. Great yeah. question. It was the self-development books and the, what I call inner sizing that came before the exercising. So, um, the books helped me take responsibility, which was the first step, but then it also helped me become aware of those thoughts that we think every day. And the, uh, according to psychiatrists and numerous studies, the average person is having about 60,000 thoughts every single day. And typically 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts from the day before. And they're usually negative, fearful, stinking, thinking thoughts. And, uh, it's called the paradigm, which you know all about, but the paradigm is just the set of, um, habits that just run on autopilot. So for me, the thoughts that I had running on autopilot was really toxic thoughts. So I started to become aware of those thoughts and the greatest power that we have as human beings, animals don't have this, but humans do the greatest power we have is the ability to choose our thoughts. And what I did is I got really good and I'm still working on it to this day. Whenever I had a negative thought, a suicidal thought, a depressing thought, I changed the thought to something uplifting. And of course, it doesn't happen in one day. It happens over time. But I did that. I also changed my environment in terms of the people I was hanging around. And uh, I, I started to hang around people who are supporting me and uplifting me. And then, of course, as I started to eat healthier and exercise and I started to give myself nutrients I started to think better thoughts because of the food I was giving myself, because what you eat also determines how you think. On top of all of that, Angela, not only was I eating really poor, like you mentioned, and I had gut microbiome, neuro uh, inflammation in my gut, inflammation in my brain. I also had eight silver fillings in my mouth that we wow. know have mercury and it was mm. vaporizing into my hypothalamus pituitary and I had it in my mouth for 20 years. So I had all these hits that I were, I was taking and I been, I just started chipping away at it, getting a little bit better each day, thinking better thoughts today than I did yesterday. And I just took little tweaks that led to giant peaks for my health. That's amazing. Wow. What, what a mountain you had to climb there. That's phenomenal to see like how far you've come. And I think, but I think for anyone listening as well, you have to exercise patience, right? This doesn't just happen overnight. As you say, you've got to change your thoughts, change your behaviors. How did you change your, when we talk about paradigms, just for people listening, right? This is a set of subconscious beliefs that you've got to bring awareness to before you can change them. Right. And we are pretty much ruled by our paradigms paradigms and 95% of what we do pretty much is subconscious. How did you start to change your thoughts and reality? And did you have any self-criticism? Because I've certainly found that, you know, with depression in intelligent people like yourself, often it comes with quite a lot of perfectionism and self-criticism and some self-loathing. Did you have, and that's a hard thing to shift. I, I found that a hard thing to shift. 
Oh yeah. Still to this day. I mean, I think everybody, even the most successful people in the world have those, those thoughts, the self-criticism, self-criticism. So the paradigm, let's talk about that real quick. And then I'll, I'll get to the self critical thoughts. The, there's two ways to change the paradigm, essentially only two ways. And Bob Proctor talks about this. So there's an, an emotional impact that can happen that really forces you to think differently and create more original thoughts and change that paradigm. That's one way. That's not the ideal way because you have to go through a lot of pain and anguish. The example that Bob Proctor gives for that is 9-11, right? September 11, 2001 in America. For a lot of people who lived in New York or, or knew somebody who was working at, at the towers, that was an emotional impact, which changed their paradigm. And that is a very tough way to change a paradigm. So that's, that was part of how I changed my paradigm because the emotional impact for me was depression and suicide, et cetera. But the better way to change your paradigm is just the constant rep, uh, repetitive um, practice of changing the paradigm. So how do you do that, right? You, you start to become aware of your thoughts. And like I mentioned, start choosing better thoughts, but it's really tricky because it's the thoughts you're thinking when you're brushing your teeth, you're washing dishes, you're walking your dog, like start becoming aware of what you're thinking at that moment, especially right when you wake up in the morning and right when you go to bed, that's when the subconscious mind is highly impressionable. So get really strategic on what you're feeding your subconscious mind or end conscious mind right before bed. And when you wake up in the morning, and I'm very strategic with that. And those critical thoughts that come in have, have really nothing to do with your potential and who you are. They're all just conditioning. And, and you know, I'm going to mention Bob Proctor again, but he shared a story that ties so closely to this conditioning. And I'm going to share it right now. It's a really quick story. It's about a baby elephant in Africa. And this baby elephant was born into the world. And they put this baby elephant to work all day long. At the end of a long day of work, they would get, grab these chains and they would tie the shackles around the ankles of the baby elephant and then stake it into the ground and leave that baby elephant there overnight. And the baby elephant would try to break free and go and escape and be out in the wilderness and, and be free, but it was just a baby elephant. It didn't have enough strength. So they did this every night for weeks and months. And eventually the baby elephant just stopped trying to run away. It just got conditioned to believe when the chains are around your ankles, you're stuck. So what ended up happening is the baby elephant ended up growing up and now it's a full grown beast. It's capable of pulling 10 times its own body weight. It could pull road, uh, railroad carts that are loaded with uh, cargo and it's a full on beast. And they put it to work and they put the same chains, the same shackles around the ankles and stake it into the ground. And that baby elephant has been conditioned to believe when the chains are around your ankles, you can't break free. It could easily break free and, and, and be into the wilderness and, and be living a life of happiness, but it's been conditioned to believe that the chains are holding you back. So if you think about that, that's what self-limiting thoughts are. It's, it's shackles and chains we put on ourselves that are these conditionings. And what we want to do is identify them and then break free from them. And we could do that through constant repetition, through affirmations, through having a goal card, through gratitude. And it takes time, but the more consistent you are with doing this, all of a sudden you start breaking free and you start to become really good at choosing better thoughts. 
Yeah, I love that. That's so true. It's something I do as well. I mean, affirmations, actually, people, I think it's worth going into this. Let's just pause there because I think yeah. people really struggle with affirmations because you can read different things, right? So there is this element of your subconscious mind. Let's say somebody is trying to, their worthy ideal is to get incredibly wealthy, right? Or it could be that they are going to lose weight. And now at the moment they're obese and they're trying to lose this weight. So if they start saying, I am fit and lean and healthy, or I am a multimillionaire, these things, their mind's just going, what? No, you're not. You're crazy. Right? It's really hard. And so I know like Hal Elrod will talk about not on the way affirmations, but almost like I am creating this or I am doing this because I'm just curious with you how you found that because actually Bob Proctor is very much around I'm so happy and grateful now that I am and then and you have the gratitude practice with it but you know like for example when he talks about wealth creation it will be I'm so happy and grateful now that money flows to me in increasing quantities on a continuous basis from multiple sources for example and actually but then People struggle with that, right? Or, you know, if you were to take that goal in relation to a health goal, they're in a bad place health-wise and they're trying to get somewhere. How do they create the gap? And I'm curious because you had to do that, right? To go from being obese to where you are now was a was a big thing you had to create. H- how have you made affirmations work for you? Yeah, I, I love the idea of tying into gratitude. I don't know if you could read this, but it actually says, I am so happy and grateful now that yeah, dot, dot, dot. I love right? it. <laughs> exactly what you just said. So I feel in the blank every morning when I drink my coffee. Mm. Having a worthy ideal is number one for me, the first step, having a why. Mm. Uh, like in the beginning, when I was going through my transformation, my why sounds superficial now, but my why was actually to get to lose all that weight so I could show the girlfriend who broke up with me that look what you lost, right? So, I kept reminding myself of that and whatever your why is, keep your why in front of you. And when the why is strong, the hows become easier, not easy, but easier. So why reasons come before results. Once you determine your why and you wrote it down, you have it in front of you, you're reminding yourself, then that's where the affirmations and the gratitude come into play. A lot of people, uh, some people, they will poo poo affirmations saying that's woo woo. You know, it's a whole bunch of nonsense that doesn't work, but I got to tell you, it's worked for me. And if you want the science behind how this works with gratitude and affirmation, there's a part of the brain called the reticular activation system, the RAS, whatever you feed the RAS, you're going to see more of perfect example. Let's say you want to buy a a new car and it's a, a red Tesla that you're looking online and you found a dealership that has this beautiful red Tesla. So you go drive to the dealership and you end up purchasing this beautiful red Tesla that you've been researching for weeks. You drive off the lot with your red Tesla and you notice when you're driving on the highway, you're driving home, a red Tesla, exactly like yours, just drove right past you. And you think, oh, that's a coincidence. And you just laugh it off. And then you're at a red light and you see another red Tesla right by you. And you're thinking, now that's a coincidence again. And then for weeks, you just see red Teslas everywhere. Now, did everybody buy a red Tesla because you just bought one? No, the red Teslas were always there, but now you've activated the RAS to see it. Meaning when you start feeding your RAS gratitude and goals and your why, you're going to see more opportunities than you see obstacles. And it starts to really reprogram that paradigm, reprogram your brain. So I love tying it to gratitude because I believe what you appreciate with gratitude begins to appreciate. And having it in that present tense, instead of saying, I will lose the weight, I will do that. Like you said, to say, I am so happy and grateful now that like it's already done, or I am 
already doing this. So putting it in the present tense. So for me, I do that with my thoughts. I do it when I'm walking my dog in the morning, I'm not listening to music. I'm not listening to an audiobook. I'm actually just saying affirmations in my head with the I am statements. And the more you do it, the more you're feeding your RAS and then you'll see all these opportunities come to you. And that's the way it works. So you do, okay. So you do do it in the present tense of the future reality you want to create. Correct. So I am fit and healthy or whatever. So I am 6% body fat or I yep. am reaching a billion people, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm so happy and yeah. grateful now that um, my, my work with keto camp has educated and inspired 1 billion people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Amazing. And as you say, you've reprogrammed and it is so powerful. I always tell people about the RAS because it's the most powerful thing you can do. And when you start to understand that, and I always say, I think as well, I was having this conversation funnily enough with my daughter because she swims for a swim club and they were moving her up. Right. But she was in between and they were waiting for a space. So she was doing half the sessions in her older group that was easier. And then half the sessions in the new group she's going into. So those new sessions felt so hard. And she was kind of in that middle place because it's kind of like, well, I did the other ones easier. I think I'm going to go to those sessions. And it's like, no, because you can't get better. And I was saying to her how all seeds start in the dark, right? You don't see nothing. Mm. You don't see anything for ages, uh, but yeah. you're putting in the effort and nothing showing and nothing showing. And it can feel like that when you're trying to change your body composition or you're trying to increase your wealth for a long time. It's like, I'm just putting in all this effort and there's nothing there. And then suddenly it clicks and it's like you're fitter, leaner, stronger, healthier, and it's all just kind of coming together. And you just have to believe. And I think that's the thing that really Bob Proctor, Tony, they all, if you, if you, I think it wasn't it. Um, Henry Ford said, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. And that it's that belief, because if you believe you can't do it, you'll never do it ever. Yeah. And it goes, and it's the exact opposite of what we've been taught growing up, at least here in America, we've been taught here that you have to see it to believe it. And that's the complete opposite. You have to believe it before you see it. And when things happen to you in your life, you know, I have this coin here from Bob Proctor that says, respond and react, right? There's two different ways to deal with what happens to you. You could either react to it, which means your subconscious mind is just going on autopilot and you're probably going to react in a negative way. Or you could take a second, take a few moments and respond to it. Think about how this is happening for you, not to you. So this coin is something that I keep here all the time because there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be setbacks, but it's never about the setback. It's about the get back. So look at that and what you can, you learn from that and always respond instead of reacting to things that come your way. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And in the, in the morning, when you wake up, like you obviously have, you were talking about the beginning of the day, the end of the day, right? This is where you can really prime your state. What's your, can you share with people? What's your routine? Like what time do you wake up? Do you does exercise a part of that? Obviously you do your gratitude. Can you tell us what your morning routine looks like then? Yeah, of course, Angela. So my morning routine is pretty extensive. First thing is I don't look at my phone. My phone's not even in my bedroom. It's on airplane mode in my office, which is a couple bedrooms down. So I don't look at my phone. That's one of the worst ways to start your day. You're, you're essentially playing Russian roulette. If you look at your phone first thing in the morning, because you could see a beautiful text or a nice comment, or you could see a problem you have to solve. And all of a sudden you're just scrambling to get that read, to get that solved. So I don't look at my phone. I immediately grab, I have actually have on my nightstand a, a notepad. Well, I have a couple of things. I have a notepad 
I have a, a little bit of an index card with an affirmation. So the first thing I do is read the affirmation. The affirmation that I read is I'm so happy and grateful for all the joy, abundance, and love that finds me today. I'm open. I'm ready. I receive. So I read that. And then I have my burning desire statement from the book, think and grow rich that you write out your yearly burning desire. So I read that all in present tense for my goals for this year. And then I grab my pen and paper and I'll write down 10 to 15 things that I'm grateful for. So I'll start with gratitude and then I'll write down all of my goals in present tense. So I, I start that it's like a 15 minute process. Then I take my dog out here uh, as the sun's coming up, I'm getting that circadian rhythm synced with my hormones and I'm doing walking affirmations where I'm saying all these things now in my head as I walk my dog with mother nature. And then after that, about an hour and a half later, I make my coffee. I, so I wait an hour and a half to have my coffee. So my cortisol could drop. And then I start my day. I go into my office. So it takes about two hours or so. And while I'm making my coffee, by the way, I'm listening now to an audiobook, typically Bob Proctor or Wayne Dyer. And then I'll start my day. Exercise comes usually midday for me, like around 11 AM or, or noon. And I usually do that in a fasted state, but for the morning routine, I protect that. And I make sure, and I wake up usually around six 30 and it's really constant for me. As long as I'm not traveling, that's going to be my routine. That's brilliant. I love it. Um, it's a similar thing that I do. Actually, I get up and do my, my gratitude first thing, oh. but I meditate actually before I do it. That's one of the very, very first things I do is, uh, do you have a meditation practice? I don't necessarily have one unless it's like a walking meditation, but, um, no, I don't, I've done some Joe Dispenza guided meditation, but I don't have a consistent practice for it now. Yeah. Yeah. I've done, I've done the Joe Dispenza ones as well. I like them. And I've also practiced, I love Vedic meditation or Vedic meditation where you kind oh. of like using your senses and then sitting in silence and you have a it's mantra based, um, it's very, very good for kind of then like leading into visualization and manifestation. Um, I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good segue into it. So, um, Going back then, so you talk about there with circadian rhythm, I think that's such an important thing for people to get. Um, it is, at the moment, it's something I find because I'm quite an early riser in the UK here, it's hard. So I tend to go out later in the day because here right now it's dark until eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so when you're wow. up at five, it's a long time up, right, without light. So I use my red light or my sauna. Um, but I'm just curious, like you talk about the, the pillars in the book, right? So we talk about adapting first. And you were saying at the beginning, one of the things um, is to is to deplete muscle glycogen, just going back to the, the health goals here. Um, and you want to become more fat adapted. But then part of your process, I believe, involves actually eating more of a carnivore style diet. Can you just explain for those listening the process and then they can go read more about it in your book um, of how they can become more fat adapted and eventually get to that flex zone? Yeah, so the, the four pillars are adapt, with meaning fat adaptation, Fast was the second pillar. So intermittent fasting strategies phase is the third pillar where you phase out all anti-nutrients and carbs and do carnivore. And that gets you to flex. So the goal, the goal is to get through those first three pillars. It takes you about eight to 12 weeks. At that point, you have been in ketosis for eight to 12 weeks and you're now what's considered keto adapted, which is different than fat adapted. And that's when you get your results for keto and it goes to another level. The mitochondria are now really efficient at using ketones, the mitochondria in your brain and body, et cetera. So it really uh, accelerates your results. And then we start flexing. But the reason I threw in carnivore, because mm -hmm. my four pillars has evolved over the years, 
Um, it used to be called phase, but it was just really low carb. It wasn't necessarily carnivore, but over the last uh, couple of years, I started to really get fascinated with carnivore. And I actually did a couple of experiments myself where I did 40 days, did a whole bunch of lab work and it transformed my health. And then I started teaching it to my keto camp Academy students and they got amazing results. So I decided to take that third pillar and change it into a carnivore pillar. And there's four different levels, depending on how strict you want to do it. But the reason I love it, it's essentially a elimination diet. You take away all of these anti-nutrients, these oxalates and phytates and lectins, et cetera, that let's face it are affecting most people because most people have leaky gut and you eliminate that. And all of a sudden it starts to, your body starts to repair its digestive system. You're able to absorb the protein and fat from the products you're eating. And then you can start bringing them back in slowly to identify which carbohydrates or vegetables actually affect you in a negative way or actually work for you. So I love that. And and it's a 30 to 60 day carnivore approach. I don't think it needs to be longer than that, unless you have like some severe autoimmune going on. And then you graduate and you could enter that flex pillar and the flex pillar is designed differently depending on if you're a woman who's a menstrual, a woman who has a menstrual cycle versus a postmenopausal woman versus a guy. So that's uh, in a nutshell, the, the four pillars, and it should take you eight to 12 weeks before you start flexing. Yeah. Which is actually a very short period of time in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. That's amazing to get that result and really enhance your mitochondria in that way. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about the differences then in the approach, the flex approach between men and women, because I think this is important. And I think that for a lot of people, like the women often find this, right, that they try a ketogenic diet and actually it, they're not getting the same results as their partner if he's a man and, and he is getting results and it can interfere with women's hormones and it needs to be done correctly. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on yeah. that for listeners? So important. That happens all the time. I know you see it too. Men will get faster results, especially weight loss results versus women. So yeah, men and women have the same hormones, but we have different fluctuations in those hormones. So I love the way that Dr. Stephanie Estima explains a cycling women's hormones and she compares it to a, a man's hormone. So she says that women who have a menstrual cycle have a, of course we know a 28 day hormone pattern, but that she compares them to the moon right? The moon, you know, full moon every 28 days or so men are more like the sun. The sun comes up, goes back down within 24 hours. So we have more of a faster recycling of our hormones. So men could be more aggressive with intermittent fasting with keto. We we're going to get faster results because we typically have higher testosterone and testosterone is a fat burning hormone. Women need to practice keto and fasting differently than men. And then also cycling women should practice it differently than postmenopausal women. So once you get to that flex point, if let's say you have a menstrual cycle and you want to start flexing in the book, keto flex, I have a, a, a four week protocol. So a week by week breakdown on how to do it according to your cycle. The most important week that I'll share here is that week leading up to your bleed week, your period. That is the week you want to build progesterone and that hormone progesterone, as you know, Angela, it's a very important hormone. It helps you feel calm. It helps keep estrogen in check. And if you're doing keto, if you're in ketosis and doing aggressive fasting strategies the week before your period, it's going to lead to high cravings that week. You're going to crave sugar and chocolate and carbohydrates. And then it might lead to a heavy menstrual cycle. And you're not going to feel that great because you're working against your physiology. But that is the week to actually carb up healthy carbs to get out of ketosis, 
build progesterone, don't practice too much fasting. And then once your cycle starts, once you start bleeding, then you could go back to more aggressive keto, aggressive fasting. So that's just one example right there. Now, postmenopausal women, um, of course have different hormones. Now the, the ovaries are now retired and they're like, peace out. I put in the work. So now your adrenal glands pick up the work, the slack for the ovaries, your, your body fat picks up the slack. So that's when you want to practice more parasympathetic activities, yoga, meditation, et cetera. And you could still flex in and out. You could do something called the five, one, one rule, which I talk about in the book, which is just choosing one day out of the week where you have a higher carb flex day. So those are just a couple of examples right there, but you want to make sure for those listening that you do it according to your physiology and your unique needs and goals, and don't do it the same way as your husband or your male friend It needs to be different. It, it yeah, really does. Yeah. It's so important. I'm so glad you make that point because so many people do not distinguish and it's such an important point. And I say, you know, I've seen women kind of go into early menopause and come back up because they've just gone so, so strict with um, keto initially. They're losing their hair. Their thyroid is slowing yeah, down. It happens all exactly. the time. Yeah, yeah. And then they're getting cold hands and feet, their metabolism's shafted. Um, and as you say, like in that late luteal phase, you're actually burning. You've got like about 250 to 280 more calories, the average woman anyway, that you can take on board. And I think if you embrace rather than resist it, you'll get less of those cravings. Um, That's such right. a good point. Yeah, I'm glad that you, um, I'm glad you made that. And um, then the last thing I just wanted you to touch on actually, because uh, it's interesting for, pe for people, is you talk about zombie cells and the concept of cellular senescence. And I think this is an important part because any longevity strategy has to address autophagy um, and intermittent fasting is one way of doing that. Can you just sort of explain a bit and then people can read more about it in your book? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the number one thing we want to pay attention to, especially when you hear about people getting really sick from COVID or, or potentially dying from COVID. What they all have in common are these amino senescent cells. Essentially, they're zombie cells. So what that means is that in the human body, there's about 30 to 70 trillion cells. And out of those trillions of cells, about 70 billion of them, it's estimated, need to be recycled and regenerated every single day. How do you do that? Well, autophagy is one of the ways to do that. It's one of the best ways to do that. And fasting is one of the best ways to activate autophagy. So the, the analogy I give for autophagy is a refrigerator, right? You open up your refrigerator and you have all of these groceries inside of your fridge. You have the milk, the cheese, the butter, the produce. Every grocery has an expiration date. What would happen if you let every single grocery inside of your refrigerator expire, but instead of throwing the expired groceries into the trash, you kind of just shove them towards the back of the fridge and buy new groceries and close that door. It's going to be nasty. There's going to be mm. disease, mold. There's going to be uh, bacteria. So disease will manifest in that environment. The human body is like that refrigerator. We have cells, proteins, we have mitochondria that all have expiration dates on them. And if you're not taking the time to activate autophagy, and clean out the refrigerator, clean out your cells and get rid of these zombie cells, it will lead to disease. That's why there's a, an amazing oncologist from Boston College, Dr. Thomas Seafried. He said a seven day water fast once per year could potentially reduce your risk of cancer by about 95% because of this maximum autophagy process. So yes, you could get autophagy through exercise, which is a great way to get it through uh, um, synolytics, which are specific ingredients and supplements and, and foods, but fasting turns on this process and it's the innate intelligence within our body thinking, okay, 
we're 16 hours into a fast, we're 24 hours into the fast, there's no food energy coming in. We need to do something. So the innate, innate intelligence is so smart. We have the world's greatest physician within us right now, the innate intelligence. And the number one priority for the innate intelligence is survival. So with no food energy coming in, the innate, intelli innate intelligence is activated to start looking for cells in the body that are damaged, that are not properly uh, working properly. And it starts to clean it out, like Pac-Man going within your cells, starting to repair the mitochondria. And it also goes a step further. If a cell has no function at all, it's what's called a zombie cell, a senescent cell, then the innate intelligence looks at that cell and says, oh, there's no function here. We need to get rid of this cell altogether. So it sends a signal for apoptosis, which is programmed cell death, cell suicide, and it destroys the cell. And then it goes another step and produces a stem cell, which is a new baby cell, a fresh cell that could be used for your eyeballs, your brain, your liver, the body will use it wherever it needs. And all of this is happening during a fast. It's like you having two weeks off from work because you're going through the holidays. And now you have all this time on your hands and you go into your garage, that's a mess. And you start cleaning out the garage. This is what happens when you stop eating. It takes, you take all this energy away from being used for digestion and you start cleaning out your cells, like you clean out your garage because you have extra time in your hands. So that's why one of the many reasons why I love fasting and fasting strategies because of this process called autophagy. Yeah, me too. It's amazing. And as you yeah. say, exercise also really, really good for that. I think if, if, if exercise was a pill, right, we'd all be taking it. <laughs> so true. And fasting too. They would make, they would want to make a lot of money from that. <laughs> yeah, they would. Absolutely. And what have you found in terms of as well with men and women, the differences in fasting period? Because I think that's another area that women just need to exercise a little bit more caution. Yeah. You know, fasting is great, but too much of a good thing could be a bad thing. So the, the main thing that we want to balance in the body are these two pathways, which is the anabolic pathway, mTOR, uh, mechanistic target of rapamycin. So it's more growth. mTOR in spurts is terrific. It's super healing to the body. It, it'll help, uh, you know, repair injuries, et cetera, but mTOR all the time not good. That means you're duplicating bad cells. You're in a constant growth phase. If you just think about bodybuilders, bodybuilders live a shorter life because they're always an mTOR, high protein, high calories, eating every two to three hours. That's too much mTOR. Fasting is the opposite. So autophagy is the opposite of mTOR. It's more catabolic, but in a good way where you're repairing and getting rid of zombie cells, et cetera. But too much fasting could eat away at your, your immune system could get lowered. So it could weaken your immune system. It could eat away at, at uh, important protein. And eventually excessive fasting could lead to a slow thyroid and eating away at muscle. So we want to balance out both mTOR and autophagy. So you do that with feast famine cycles. So you have your eating window, you feast healthy, and then you have your fasting window. You don't eat. Now your question was, women and men definitely should do this differently uh, because same thing with keto, you don't want to do it the same way. So just in general for both men and women, if you're really stressed out and you're not sleeping well, and you have a lot of mental stress, you probably shouldn't do too much fasting. It'll be too much stress for your body to adapt to because fasting is a stress to the body. But if you have too much stress, it, it could create a problem. It'll, that hormetic curve will start to drop down. So first of all, assess your sleep, your sleep and your stress, make sure that's down pat. And then for women, Again, the same principles apply to do it according to your cycle, right? The week before your period, you don't want to do too much fasting. The week of your period, you can do more fasting. Men, I've seen 
could do more aggressive fasting protocols. And of course, if you have a lot of extra body fat and you have a lot of insulin resistance and type two diabetes for both men and women, you could do a lot more aggressive protocols. So that's why it's important to always work with the coach to kind of look at what's happening. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's so important. Um, and to understand, because as you say, it's kind of this overall bucket. You don't want to create too much stress. And as, and, and the, the point you make about body fat is really, really important, right? It's because if you've got a man or a woman who's very low body fat, they're not going to need to fast. Or if they do fast, it's going to be more stress on their body because the body's going to see that much more as famine than, you know, if you've got a man that's like seven, eight percent body fat compared to a man who's 30 percent body fat, obviously he's going to be able to fast way more um and and not cause damage to to their health um yeah so interesting i highly recommend people check you out your book you know it's so it's so written so beautifully and so simply i think it's a really um i I think you've probably you've been very deliberate in the way you've created it but it's really easy like almost like a manual that people can pick up and actually use and it's very very practical in that sense Thank you. That was the goal uh, to to get the science in there. There are there are several references, but not to yeah. make it like a scientific sort of book where it just goes over people's heads. So I wanted to give them the basic premise and and the book outlines. And thank you for saying that. the The book outlines three steps to healing the body: identify the interference, number one; remove the interference, number two; and number three, allow your amazing body to heal. So I relate how to do that with keto and fasting and carnivore. There's also a chapter on sleep there, even though it's a keto book, I couldn't resist. I had to put a chapter on sleep. So uh, we did write it in a way that we could get the science, but give it to you in bite-sized nuggets. That's very practical. Yeah, it's brilliant. And people can, I mean, you reference the studies as well, if people want to go and look at that, but it's very um, easy to use. And so in terms of your week, what's your routine like in terms of your fasting? I know you're saying you exercise around 11 in the morning, did you say, in a fasted state? And yes. do you, you you obviously had a CrossFit gym originally. How do you mix up your exercise now? Do you have a kind of protocol that you use for longevity across the week? Yeah, um, I did too much exercise. And, and uh, when I was when I had my CrossFit gym, I was overtraining <laughs> for sure. So I learned from that. Um, so what I typically do, like my schedule... Most days I do like a 18, six sort of uh, intermittent fasting schedule. So 18 hours in a fasted state, I do have coffee and, and some water and electrolytes in that fasted state. And then I have like a six to eight hour eating window, typically two big meals, uh, focused a lot on protein. Protein is very important. And then fat and then carbs in terms of like keto, I would say 80% of the time I'm in ketosis and uh, 20% of the time I'm out. That could be a day-to-day thing. It could be a weekend thing. I kind of just go by feel with that. But again, I've done the work to have this metabolic flexibility and freedom. Um, it's something that you needed to earn the badge to do. So first put in the work and develop that metabolism to do this. And uh, I like to, I love to fast uh, and train at the same time. Uh, you're a big fan of that too, I believe. Yeah, right? I do. I much prefer exercise in a faster state, actually. I mean, occasionally, if I've left it too long, and I am quite kind of like low body fat for a woman, kind of about 15%. So for me, if I leave it too long, then it will take away from how much it can bring, particularly if it's weight. So I tend to train a bit earlier in the morning, but yeah, I'm a huge fan. I just, I just find the mental cognition, the output. I actually like to have black coffee and then work out. I'll have some trace minerals, same as you with some water. And I do my whole morning routine and then I'll, I'll work out and I have some coffee to kind of help me and then I'll refuel afterwards. So yeah, I 
really like it. And I know I know there's loads of science in terms of the circadian clock about it being better in the afternoon. And, you know, I don't think anyone's ever broken an Olympic record before midday. But, you know, I'm not an Olympian. And I think exactly. for me, if it isn't done in the morning, it's just not going to happen. I've tried it so many times. It just, I'm occasionally I might work out in the afternoon, but it's much less likely to I'll make that workout if I leave it. That's great. You got to know yourself. You know, if you know that if you do it in the morning, you're going to get it done, then that's the best schedule for you. And if you find that in the afternoon, when you schedule it, things get in the way, that's not the best schedule for you. So I think that's great. To your point, you're not, you don't want to be an Olympic athlete. You want to be healthy and, and have longevity. So that is, is important. So for me, like a late morning, midday works better for my schedule. And I typically do it fasted. I sometimes, let's say if I do cardio, let's say if I play basketball or just do some sprints or some cardio, I will probably remain fasted after the workout. But if I did a heavy training session, then I would typically break the fast afterwards, either with some aminos or with like a carnivore type of a heavy protein and fat sort of meal. Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. Um, and then just to close then, when you close out your day, you said that you, obviously you're most susceptible, your thoughts and things before you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, what does your evening routine look like? Do you have a kind of certain time that you always power down from work? Do you have a certain routine in the evening, a certain bedtime routine? Yeah, I do. I don't watch the news first and foremost. It's always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch the news. Yeah, I mean, watching the news, especially before bed, one of the worst things you can do for your health, you know, yeah, you never want to watch the news in general, but before bed. And I, I grew up with my mom, always putting the news on before bed in the morning. And I, and it was just so toxic. So what I do is I, uh, uh, let's I'll hang out with my fiance. We'll watch something on Netflix, something that's funny, get oxytocin going, or if there is, I like to watch sports. So if there's like a basketball game or a football, like American football game, I'll, I'll watch that. But I, I'm really diligent with going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time. So my bedtime is usually, uh, between nine 30 and 10, I'll get, I'll get to bed. And my routine is, uh, I do gratitude before bed and I'll write down my goals. It's not as long and as extensive as the morning routine, but I'll make sure I get that in. And then I go to bed, fall asleep around 10 PM and wake up around six 30. So I get you know, I'm in bed for about eight and a half hours, but I probably get like seven and a half to eight hours of total sleep each night with a good amount of REM and deep sleep. And that's usually my protocol unless I'm traveling. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Such a good way to close out the day. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We will link to everything you've been talking about, but where can people find you? The book is Keto Flex. It's available in all like Amazon bookstores. Where, um, where can people find you? your social media media is your Instagram is incredible, but please link and share with the listeners where they can come and find you, Ben. Yeah. Thank you, Angela. It's been such an honor being on your show. I love what you're doing. Your podcast you. is great. Your work is great. You know, Angela was on my Keto Camp podcast. So if you want to go listen to my podcast, you might want to start with that episode. It was from last month. So it's the Keto Camp podcast available on all podcast platforms, Camp with the K. And if you just go to benazadi.com, it has all of my social. It has where you can find Keto Flex. There's a free keto guide there. So benazadi.com will probably be the best place to find everything that you're uh, looking for. I'd, I'd love to connect with your audience. Oh, amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. As I say, we'll put it in the, uh, in the show notes and, uh, yeah, they can definitely go out and check out the episode I did with Ben. That was, that was wonderful to be on your show as well. I really, really enjoyed it. And it's been great to have you, um, here today. Thanks so much for sharing your time and all your wisdom. It was a pleasure. I always enjoy speaking with you. Thank you, Angela. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, the show notes will be over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast. And you can download the transcript there together with the show notes and all of the other resources that I have on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.